Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to watch, if you're watching here on YouTube, or to listen to the podcast, to my topic today about blockchain, the future, and the, uh, I guess, the revelations of what blockchain is or isn't. Uh, This is a topic that I have really become very passionate about within the framework of compassionate capitalism, because, of course... What we do as compassionate capitalists is invest time, knowledge, resources, money to help entrepreneur endeavors create jobs, bring innovation to the market, and create wealth. And, a, and to me, a, a platform technology that, and if any of you that have listened to my other podcasts about blockchain know I have said this before, it fundamentally will change the way we do business. To me, the way the internet has changed the way we do business. We don't even think about whether something is online or offline or any of that kind of stuff anymore, or it's an internet-based business or anything like that, because if there is a business that doesn't have any internet aspect to it, like e-commerce or anything, they're not hardly in business, okay? Maybe restaurants, but anymore, even that is, is the case. So blockchain to me is, um, is that kind of a platform. And my guest today, Linda Gets, did I say your name correctly? Okay. You got it. Okay. <laughs> she is, um, she heads up the Blockchain Chamber, which is a community and an ecosystem in and of itself from not only applying blockchain and from an industry vertical, but also for getting the resources and technologies and skills that CTOs, CIOs, executives of companies, entrepreneurs, and investors need when they look at the role blockchain is going to change into in the future of the company that they're involved in now and in the industry and where they're going to go. And so with that, let me let Linda say hello to you and then I'll do a further introduce her. Thank you for being on the show today, Linda. Thank you. And I'm so happy, Karen, to have this opportunity to connect with you, your audience, and uh, just share some of the, the insights that hopefully are, are positive and perspective building for the people that are listening in today. So thank you. Happy yes. to be here. I'm glad to have you. Now, Linda and I met, um, you know, a few years ago at a, uh, I think it was a, a technology event and networking event in town. And the White House. Uh, a gentleman. Oh, Remember? yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and the thing about it was at that time we were struggling. I had this perspective of blockchain, but we were struggling to unlink blockchain from crypto because there's a lot of, of mi- like misinformation or hype. I guess, associated with crypto and ICOs and things like that, that had made people fear blockchain and not recognize it as this underlying technology platform that solved a lot of problems. And so when I met Linda, I was like, hooray, not only is there somebody that is actually taking this bull by the horns to, you know, provide clarity to this industry way before a lot of other people were doing it. 
and she's a woman. So, you know, a technical woman that's, that's, you know, really leading the edge on this. And, you know, she has been committed to with, with through the chamber and through her, her um, blockchain ecosystem that we'll talk about in this particular segment, but connecting coders, developers, business builders, innovators, proponents of positive change around the world using this as a platform technology, which is of course near and dear to my heart as well. And it's just interesting, you know, how does somebody get involved when you're at the cutting edge of that? How does somebody get involved with that? So Linda, how did you, you know, jump into this world of blockchain and then take the lead to build this kind of robust ecosystem and community that you've done? It's been a journey. And uh, I, I know that blockchain is not spelled B-I-T-C-O-I-N, um, <laughs> but there's a lot of people that still think it is. Um, however, I, I did get my start through Bitcoin, interestingly. So that was uh, seeing a Bitcoin faucet. Um, anybody that's kind of researched into to Bitcoin and blockchain will uh, have an idea about what that is. But for those that don't, um, they used games to incentivize people to participate in the Bitcoin blockchain. And this was back when you could still mine Bitcoin using a personal computer. So the, the game would, would give you instructions on how to set up a wallet. And then as you played, you were participating with the mining activities of the Bitcoin blockchain. And you got a, a reward that was dripped to you. That's why it's called a Bitcoin faucet. And um, I think at the time, it was like 0.1 Bitcoin for every 10 minutes. Um, so rather significant when you look at the price value that Bitcoin has, has gotten to over time. Um, but I, I saw that and I didn't set up the wallet and I'm not a technologist. I, I was like, okay, that's, I, I, I really, and actually I saw it on someone else's computer. So I wasn't going to download something, you know, on someone else's computer that might be, you know, a, a virus or, you know, might be a bad thing. But I was like, what is this Bitcoin? And so I started researching and that, that journey of discovery of, of what Bitcoin was, um, the technology underlying it, you know, the cryptographic uh, keys, all of that stuff. Um, it, was, it was just new and different. And I was like, there's, there's something about this that's a game changer. And this was in 2012. And, you know, Bitcoin hadn't cracked $100, um, you know, <laughs> per Bitcoin at the time. And, um, you know, so I, I started talking to my husband. I was like, you know, I'd, I'd love to get involved you know, actually own some Bitcoin, you know, ha get my fingers on this. And, um, you know, he, he put me off, put me off, put me off. Um, finally, I figured out how to speak his language and, and uh, told him I thought it was a, a great chaos hedge, a diversification Ooh. for our portfolio <laughs> that, that was, um, you know, uncorrelated. And uh, so talking his language, um, he, he finally agreed to, to participate with me and, and uh, we, we bought our first Bitcoins and uh, uncomfortable process, let me just tell you at that time, um, not fun and um, not convenient. So a lot has happened since then in, in helping make interfacing with cryptocurrencies of all kinds, not just Bitcoin, um, much more convenient, much safer, um, you know, more, more positively regulated than it was uh, at that time. So obviously KYC, AML, you know, all of those, um, you know, safety features uh, so that we're not having money laundering and, you know, trafficking being, uh, you know, paid for through 
cryptocurrencies, um, you know, there, there are some pain points still. And, and I have to be honest, it's, it's not like the, the entire swamp has been cleaned up yet. But yeah. uh, one of the best compliments actually I got recently on LinkedIn was from somebody who was actually being very negative. And um, they just said that they wanted to, to thank me for providing a haven of common sense in the blockchain swamp. So <laughs> if, 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 that's, if that's what uh, I can do personally, um, it does represent the, the ethos of the chamber. And, um, you know, we, we have people that have been on our events that have, have just said, hey, it was, you know, it was wonderful spending time being surrounded by really smart, critical thinkers, you know, people that are making a difference, um, good people. So that's, that's what makes me happy. Yeah. We're, we're bringing together people that have positive purpose and um, being able to really impact some major verticals um, as, as we go forward. So, so bef- let's, I want to get into some of the practical functions of how people, or, or I should say companies, business is using blockchain. Before we get in that, into that, just give a, a you know, the, the Reader's Digest 101 version of what is blockchain to clarify from people that might be listening to this for the first time getting their introduction to blockchain. They've heard of crypto and they're like, no, I don't want it. Crypto is too volatile, but what is, blo- what is blockchain? I, I thought that was crypto. What, what, so give the basics of, of what does it really mean from a, a functional standpoint and then we'll look, talk about application of it. Absolutely. And I, I do apologize that I, I didn't give my, my journey into the, the <laughs> blockchain. I, I realized I gave you like half of the answer to the question um, that you asked previously. Right. And um, it, I'll, I'll, I'll add that, that fun, how I got into the, the chamber itself um, after I, I give a brief description of, of blockchain. Um, there's, uh, you know, the, the very straightforward, um, it's a distributed ledger, uh, but not all blockchains are public. Um, that's, I guess, a distinction that, that a lot of people don't recognize that there are public blockchains and private blockchains. So if you have a distributed ledger, it gives you traceability, transparency, tradability, if it has um, cryptocurrencies attached to it. But not all blockchains do. Not all blockchains even need a token. They are able to to carry out those functions um, of traceability and transparency, which I think are are two of the the most important aspects of blockchain technology uh, without having to have tokens. So, you know, separating blockchain from tokens um, is in, in... many cases a a distinction that needs to be made for people to wrap their mind around blockchain and most people when they describe blockchain they describe the bitcoin blockchain and that's simply because it was the first it's the the most well known it's uh it's just kind of the 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 old guard standard um a lot of blockchain innovation has happened since then and you know blockchains like symbiont um very powerful private blockchain that uh, is being used by you know banks like Citibank, you know massive you know wall street level banks and i do want to give a shout out for women right now because uh we we did have a female ceo step into uh the role there um jane frazier uh, actually, a, a friend of my my husband's. He played golf with their family, and you know, just a, a lovely, 
um, powerful woman in the fintech space that has just set the bar um, and said, you know, hey guys, women, <laughs> we we can, you know, be in the, the C-suite of the, not just the C-suite, but the, the leading role in a Wall Street bank. And yeah. that's, that's powerful. So yeah. I just, I just want to give a huge shout out to her because that's, well, and also, I forgot to mention that you were actually named one of the top 100 women in blockchain as well by Fintech TV. So you're, you know, you, you're up there in your own rights as well. So hats off to you as well on that. No, thank you. And it's, it's been um, a pleasure to, to collaborate with a lot of the women in the space. And the, the unfortunate reality is there's not enough of us. We're, we're super underrepresenting our gender in the technology and blockchain space. So um, let me just give a shout out to, to men, encourage your daughters to, to code, encourage them to engage with technology. Um, we, we do have growing up now, um, both genders that are more comfortable with technology. And um, I'm very hopeful that the numbers are gonna shift, but you, you know as well as I they do, we've, we've been, Karen, You've been at events where there's just, there've been one or two women and 50 guys, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's getting better, but it's definitely, it is, it's gradually improving, but it's, it's going to be um, a concerted effort, I believe, as we go forward of, of women that are stepping up and um, just being role models and, uh, you know, facilitating education for the, the young women and girls that yeah. are, that are developing into this. So so you were yes. the CIO over at the chamber before you became the CEO, right? That's Correct. So you were, were you a founder of the chamber? Well, that, that's interesting. I, I was not one of the original founders. Um, there was a, a small team um, led by Abraham Syung. And uh, he's, he's a gentleman that's of the Hmong people, which uh, if you're familiar with the, the Jewish diaspora, that's kind of very similar, an Asian uh, group of, of people that have no country and have been diaspora across the, the world. And, um, you know, Abraham came to the, to the U.S. Uh, as a young boy. I think he was six and um, he has been a, a serial entrepreneur, um, you know, from, from his youth. And uh, he saw the need to help educate people because there was this, I, everybody knows 2017 was part of the, the hype cycle, right? Um, with, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And so Abe was seeing this and people were asking questions. He's like, there's no safe place to go. You know, you can, you can go searching online and next thing you know, you're in, you know, a shady site that's, you know, getting you to download a keystroke logger or something, you know, um, this is, this is not good. So he actually established the blockchain chamber of commerce as a response to the need that he saw for a safe place for people to connect. And so I connected at one of the very first events. And so I was, I was just participating as, as an audience member and they had people, uh, you know, raising their hand, you know, how long have you owned cryptocurrency? And so, you know, one month, a bunch of people raised their hand, three months, six months, you know, hands start to go down and it was a year, three years. Like I'm looking around going, there's, there's nobody else with their hand up. Five years, I still had my hand up. And I think that was the, the moment, both for me and for the, the founding members of the chamber to, for me, I, I can only speak for myself. I guess I had that, oh my goodness, this is, 
like what I did wasn't the norm. You know, I'm a, I'm a pioneer and I hadn't, I hadn't even contemplated that. Right. I just own Bitcoin and I watched it go up and I, you know, saw what was happening, you know, different blockchains were being developed and, you know, I was just kind of keeping an eye on this emerging landscape going, okay, this, this is, you know, this this is what I thought it might be. You know, this is something that is a game changer. Yeah. And um, then the 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 founding members um, asked me to participate on a panel and you know share my experience. And then I was part of a debate where we had smart regulations versus no regulations. And so you know you imagine Bitcoin maximalists, no regulation, right? Um, it was a very spirited debate. Um, I, I somewhat regret that it wasn't recorded, but some somewhat and thankful it wasn't um, <laughs> because it, it definitely had its moments um, but we did win by one vote for smart regulations and that there was the side that I was uh, debating for and it's something that I have worked towards um, helping facilitate as we go forward is yeah. the acceptance of the need for regulations that are appropriate and the removal of regulations that are very inappropriate and, and don't really um, make themselves uh, workable with yeah. this new technology. So it's, it's been a little bit of an uphill climb and we still have some taxation regulation that is onerous and um, some pain points that need to be addressed. But the, the social mandate of the chamber is raising awareness, facilitating adoption, and inspiring advocacy. And that's for commerce, consumers, people building careers in and around blockchain. So that's what we seek to do. Okay, so John, let's go. You mentioned something about crypto because I think the regulations are really, uh, you talk about tokens, but the regulations are really geared towards people issuing currency on crypto. Oh, securities. Um, or, or security. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. issuing securities on crypto and there might be just like there are with um, other industry things where there might be an industry self-regulation when it comes to protocols for compatibility. But what we haven't really talked about is what is blockchain. Right. So is token <laughs> is a token always a currency no. or could thing because you keep you no. use them interchangeably so i want to make sure because back when i was with ibm a token was a piece of information that got passed from here to here to make sure it got all the way through successfully and you knew that what was on this end and what was on this end was the same thing even though you couldn't trace what was in between and that was how they used tokens so how is blockchain different from the way they use token because you're you could say some things you know, like a bank is doing this token and verification stuff, but they're not always doing, they're not taking all of my U.S. dollars and putting it into crypto in order to do blockchain, right? Yes, you're, you're absolutely correct. And we, we are looking at a, a digital U.S. dollar as something that, that will be coming into existence. Um, what's backing it is, is still in question and how it's going to be launched is very much still in question. Yeah. But, um, there's, I really there's... want to get to what blockchain <laughs> does with the way it handles security so we can talk about the industries and stuff. Yeah. Because there's all kinds of debate we can get into on is a U.S. dollar paper currency versus digital currency versus this and what everybody pays digital anyway. And is there real money out there? But that's I really want to like have people understand and not get confused with this constant interconnecting of financial currency and 
coins, digital coins with the security of verifying a transaction or tracking something that they do within the industries. So yeah, how and, does that work? <laughs> that's that's when, when I was talking earlier about private and public blockchains. Um, you have public blockchains that utilize tokens as part of their economics. You can have private blockchains that don't need tokens at all. They, they are a distributed ledger that is verifiable between nodes and once something is entered into the ledger, you can't go back and pretend it wasn't entered. You can't go back and change it because it's, it's a hashed representation of data that's basically locked in. And as more and more blocks are connected over time, and just to make it a visual, that, that data can't be altered. Now, you can do appends where you can append new data in a new block that relates to an old block, but it doesn't in, in any way take and alter what was initially put into that block. And that does not require a token for that to be possible. Okay. So a distributed ledger where nodes are in, I mean, they, they could be on three servers in the exact same room, right? But they're, they're distributed between several servers. Um, that can substantiate a blockchain with without tokens. So it just, it doesn't allow the, the data to be altered in any way. And that's, that's where the trust comes into the picture. If I have 27 suppliers and the, my product is, is going through and having pieces added to it from each supplier and they register on the blockchain what they, and it could be, it could be the Symbiont blockchain. It could be um, even a public blockchain like Ethereum. I, you know, there, there's a lot of different use cases that we can, you know, talk about right. if, if that's but what you it, want to discuss. Ethere but, Ethereum is a financial uh, blockchain, right? It's not a, a, they don't, they haven't carved it out for hospitality to use, for example. Well, um, there is, there's a lot of work currently being done on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, still has a lot of pain points with throughput, um, but they're, they're solving for those. And we have um, the, the baseline protocol. And I, I don't know how technical we, we want to get here, but uh, people can look it up. Um, and uh, Kyle, Tom, uh, anyway, if you, if you go to uh, provide industries, uh, I provide, I'm going to use the wrong ending. So provide, let's just stick with provide um, and look up Kyle provide. He's been doing some incredible stuff. Um, I think Coke, one of the, one of their bottling, um, you know, manufacturers is starting to, to do a, a pilot in regard to using the baseline protocol, um, which has an Ethereum, you know, backbone, basically you're, you're looking okay. at something that enterprise traditionally has looked at askance, but with the baseline protocol, they're starting to work with it. So okay. there's, there's these connection points that are being made. And the baseline protocol is one of those touch points where public blockchain is connecting with enterprise. And there's this always on aspect of a public blockchain that is appealing, that has characteristics that are a value add to business process flow. So 
where where that all is going to shake out. I, I know we're in that, you know, proof of concept early implementation timeframe. So I, I don't want to make value judgments as to, you know, whether this is the solution, um, you know, to, to bridge the gap between public and private um, blockchains or, you know, between enterprise and the, the public distributed ledger but it's it's a step in the right direction okay and so we're having a lot of those steps in the right direction right yeah. now so this is a good opportunity to our listeners you know the entrepreneurs and the investors out there that may still be a little bit confused on the language um i want to encourage people everybody to go to blockchain ecosystem.io that's just all one word blockchain ecosystem.io that's the aggregate of information that lends through the chamber as well as out you know extending beyond the chamber itself to the community where they have events and videos and uh community soundboards where people ask questions and get responses and we're going to talk some more about those in, in a minute but i want people to go there so they can continue to learn because there's no way we can cover this complex topic in the time that we have here today but i just want to within the language of blockchain token is a a a financial value associated with that not whereas it's a block when it comes to verification so they're two separate things so so the 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 digital currency or the tokens the the that people talk about related to crypto and that might be where sometimes we get this confusion on it that i get confused because i think of i'm, I'm trying to figure out what term to use when you're really just clarifying you know a transaction and you're mm -hmm. tracking it and the always on because you know me as i started out when i introduced this this i believe this is a platform that is um as profound in the shift that it's going to have within industries as artificial intelligence is or the internet is and of course those are always on you don't turn off artificial intelligence when it's in an app it's in an app when you don't turn off the internet unless you press your button but guess what the internet is still going on out there so yeah, the private trust. Well, it's, it's all about validation because, um, I mean, you know, being able that it's, it's the, and so let me just put this into my layman's terms. The reason why crypto became the, the technology of blockchain was written. And I guess the guy from Ethereum was the first guy that kind of wrote this protocol for this kind of stuff. Vitalik Buterin. Yeah. The first application where you was to create an alternative to your traditional currency systems that said i want to verify that this person that i'm going to do this financial transaction with really has that money and is really going to pay me and they're really going to do the things that they say they're going to do and that way this token gets verified it has like a a step back that it looks back and, and i'm using layman's term because i don't know all the terms but i want to like get to the point that we can build upon this for the for the to the industry applications of it but it 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 steps back and it looks and that's where you have your miners out there because they're verifying this data through this ledger this digital ledger that linda's been talking about that it's going to and for those that are watching i'm waving my hands trying to explain it and those that just realize people are listening may not realize it but if you look at where i get it i'm getting a transaction in traditional world like supply chain management 
you have a digital trace of it got sent from this person to this person, but you don't have any real verification that what they sent wasn't doctored to the point that Linda, Linda made. They didn't go back and fix it. This has been a problem in accounting when they go in and they do forensic uh, analysis and they say, oh, they changed their books. Like when the SEC comes in and they look and they go, oh, they changed their books because they can clarify that, they can verify that. And I just, you know, I was just on a call with EB-5 people. It's a big issue within EB-5 in getting the investor validation of the investor money that they're going to invest in these companies to, in order to get their green cards when they come to the United States because they're putting a million dollars in. Where did that money come from? And so right now, because they're not using blockchain in that, they have to go provide paperwork that says that it wasn't a gift or if it was a gift that there's no where did that person get the money and they have to do this paper trail so what blockchain mm -hmm. will do is remove the need for a paper trail in providing the paper because it already if it was a digital record it is locked and it cannot so i got my hand up altered. showing it's locked it cannot <laughs> be altered and existing world that all they verify they, the only way to verify that piece of information is to follow the money. You hear about the follow the money and the paper trail and all this kind of stuff. And who gave you that money or who gave you or where did you source that product from? What field did you get that from? If it's if you integrate blockchain into the Internet of Things and in Bluetooth and all these other types of technologies, you can verify every piece of the movement of a product, the movement of a contract, the movement of a decision, the movement of anything through this process, and it's verified, it's locked and loaded, so it's an efficiency statement once you get your your particular industry up on that, that you knew you know that that it, you can trust that information because it's been verified not by this paper trail of all these other sources to verify it and all these other accounting systems and ledgers and ins and outs of this kind of stuff. It's trusted because it got verified through the blockchain process of looking back at that block of information and that it's been verified because when it was put in there, it was verified through the chain backwards. So that's how, where did it source from? And if it can't be verified, then it's a broken blockchain and everything's messed up. Did I put that into good layman's terms? How do I do uh, that? That broken blockchain, uh, this, this, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you can't, with the Bitcoin blockchain, um, you, you can't go back and pretend it was different. You know, it's, once, it's, once it's in a block, it's, it's going to be verified. And that, that's a really important point to make because it's garbage in, garbage out potential, right? So if, if you put in something, and it's not the the truth. It's not representing reality. You can be held accountable for that over time, right? Because people can still go back to that block and see that data and see that it was with your key that that was, you know, approved for that transaction and you're accountable. So right. to, to that extent, I believe it really gives accountability in such a way that it it enforces um, kind of on the, on the, on the back end, you know, you see that, that hammer that can come down on you in the future if you don't put in what's correct today. Um, 
it really enforces that that uh, honesty so that the data that is in the blockchain is more trustworthy just on a, on the onset right right but then it can be referred back to over time and verified that yes that was what was entered that's what exists and if you have a digital document that's entered you can have it secured encrypted by a, a key that not everybody can go back and pull that and, and look at it and it's not open data right um, so you you have the ability to give the key to unlock that data to others to okay. substantiate so it's it's not and once again there's a lot of different kinds of blockchains there there are thousands i actually we had one member of the chamber that spun up a thousand blockchains one summer i mean he just he used hyperledger and he was just spinning up blockchains and um you know there there's so much that is possible and so many implementations uh, i i know we're looking at this huge landscape going, good God, how can it come together? If you have all of these different kinds of blockchains, you got Bitcoin blockchain and then all of its variants, you got Ethereum and all of its variants, you got smart contracts. And you were in, in layman's terms doing a lovely job of describing smart contracts where you, you have that, you know, if this, then that, and it's automatically executed through the, the Ethereum blockchain. Um, that's that's just a kind of taking a contract and and putting it into an automated um, execution and yeah. we have oracles and all kinds of fun things that um, you know can can put the data in that validate okay now this funds can these funds can be released so there's um, it, it's such a big landscape and in part that's that's why we we took a look at this this landscape of where blockchain is impacting and and um, Eric Passini and James Wallace uh, who, who lead our supply chain and financial services verticals um, they actually I think started up with uh, Deloitte and IBM um, leading their blockchain groups and uh, they they focused in on us with figuring out what the verticals should be that we that we highlighted that blockchain would be impacting oh good and so yeah, yeah that, that was that was a really um because the landscape feels very convoluted and complicated and there's so much going on it's like okay where where do i look where do i go um we we nailed it down and you know this might be somewhat of an oversimplification of the blockchain ecosystem but um you know the technology vertical covers the the different types of blockchain that can be impactful and the different technologies that blockchain is the glue for and so that's a vertical um, manufacturing is a vertical uh, we've actually been in the manufacturing floors and seen some of the implementation that blockchain enables um, you know the the scanning of a QR code if that goes into a blockchain then you have a whole different business process flow than if you just have a QR code on a piece of paper that gets handed from person to person to person right well there's, there's really no person purpose <laughs> in having a QR code being passed by paper anyhow but, right? but they are is it's crazy what's they the point are. of a QR code on a piece of paper if you're not going to scan it and put it you know what I mean because isn't right. a QR code a representation of digital information right it gives it gives you data and if it's connected on a blockchain then you can have the the appending over right. time of what's happened with that item 
And right. so there's, uh, yeah, anyway, there's, there's a lot that it's is tracking happening. that it's, it's, that's why yeah. I mentioned about the internet of things and, you know, using Bluetooth and infrared because, you know, people are constantly f- tracking stuff through a supply chain using barcodes, QR codes. And now they're you know, linking that into the back in technology, exactly. verifying it. So I think yeah. one of the things terms, you say there's so many blockchains, well, I think it's really probably to that, again, layman out there listening, that's an interchangeable word with applications that are on a blockchain platform of, of function. So it's a blockchain function, but you're applying it in this way. So like crypto was an application of blockchain and supply chain management to trace the this piece of data through that supply chain or the tracking of product is an application. And whether Walmart does theirs or you know Target does theirs or Amazon does theirs, they may have their own private applications using the blockchain that could sit on a public Ethereum or something else or within, just like intranets and internet. Intranets are just a function of something that they brought in house but it's still within the internet itself because the that's internet that's is- the problem that currently exists there there hasn't been a a creation of an ecosphere that really enables the interoperability of the different blockchains and one of the things we need to be really careful of and i, I want to put this out there because i've seen it in writing so many times people talk about the blockchain there is no the blockchain. There are multiple blockchains and there are multiple types of blockchains that have different governance, different infrastructure, different ways of handling business process flow. There are a lot of, literally a lot of different blockchains and different types and styles of blockchains, right? So it's, so then is, uh, because and then, then there's like different the- applications on top of, yeah, you can have Hyperledger and there can be 20 projects yeah, well, okay, of so- projects on Hyperledger, but different instances of a Hyperledger blockchain implementation. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So I'm just trying, we got about 10 minutes left. So let's, you know, just say, okay, so there is not, no, there isn't a the blockchain. There's implementations of blockchain. And that also leads into some of the things we talked about on talking about incompatibility and compatibility. So it sounds like it's, it's only incompatible because every blockchain is <laughs> different. So is there anything other than the thesis of what blockchain is and verification of this block through this chain process? Is there anything that is ubiquitous? across the concept of blockchain? Um, Well, one of the the technology stacks that I've seen that helps solve for this problem that we're seeing of of lack of interoperability between blockchains is a technology stack that is owned by Charlie Northrup. And he's the same guy that saw one of the first instances of the web when it was between professors. I think one of his buddies was at the University of Illinois. And so he saw it and he said, that's going to be commercialized. And his buddy laughs at him. Charlie goes and writes 10 patents, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I got, to, I got to sit at the table with him at lunch before he did a presentation at the chamber nice. and talk with the guys that actually brokered the sale of his patent stack. And it was tens of millions of dollars. It was you know, one of the biggest patent sales in history. And they told him at that same lunch about an email that they'd gotten forwarded to them from the winning broker. 
and uh, he had asked how much higher he could bid because it was a, a bit of a bidding war. And um, he got back this email that he forwarded said, whatever it takes. And it was signed Bill Gates. <laughs> so Charlie's sitting there absorbing this at the lunch table with me. And he said, you know what? My current patent stack will dwarf that one. And you think about e-commerce, you know, everything that that enables all the billions and trillions of dollars that are going through. And his current patent stack enables digital agency. And it's a combination of a multidimensional QR code that is, is a hologram that can be scanned. It's pure random data that can be connected to a person's secret. Like my, my secret could be a song and I just hash the song and that's connected with this pure random data that creates a multi key that is two to the 512th times two to the 512th public private key pairings. Wow. That is seven times more than the known atoms in the universe or the, the atoms in the known universe. I, I, we can't even begin to know what we don't know, how, how big the universe is, but of what we know, um, this, this, is, this is about as quantum proof as, as you can get. Um, anyway, so that, that multi-key can be managed by a new form of AI, which is the, the digital agent that he has created, can learn nouns, verbs, and modifiers, and can act on your behalf using this multi-key. So it takes the complexity away from the human to like take these huge strings of, of multiple, you know, possible public-private key pairings. And now your agent can encrypt things on your behalf. And just like we have public-private key pairings um, that, well, you know, if, if you have on the Bitcoin, well, let me, let me not go there because I know you said we had 10 minutes. Um, with <laughs> with the, the digital agent, taking and managing your multi-key you can now be provisioned into just like a, a website has uh, subdomains right now we can be provisioned into subdomains basically where we have like our, our .gov our .edu our .social media our .vet pet you know how however we want to organize and manage our lives the, the digital agent can do that on our behalf using the multi-key to end-to-end -end encrypt data that we want to send to to manage and interface with other agents to to make agreements to the, like the smart contract um, concept is one that will be able to be managed by the agent on your behalf in the digital world yeah. and this is a this is a progression to digital agency that solves for the issue that the web was not designed with us in mind, right? We have to provision ourselves into other people's websites using our username and password, but that's not ours. It just provisions us into somebody else's space. And then we push the, you know, accept cookies, right? And now our digital footprint is owned by the organizations that host that website. And we, we always click on accept terms and conditions, right? Right, and, you can't get in unless you do that. Right, you can't use the platform unless you do that. So, um, the the web wasn't designed for us to have digital agency and to own our data and to be able to monetize that. So, digital agency is, I believe, the the next big step in fixing that problem yeah. and allowing us as human beings. And and the beautiful thing about it, the the interoperability of blockchains, because these agents can learn. Nouns, so they, verbs, and modifiers. That sounds like learn, artificial intelligence to me. Yes, yeah. 
but they can learn any blockchain's infrastructure. They can be on one blockchain for its particular, um, you know, value add to them and then say, hey, we're done using this for this and we're agreeing to go use this other blockchain. And yeah. they, can, they can sign off the, the old blockchain and, and start interacting and using a different blockchain. It's almost and, like a bot. Well, yeah, it's, it would be a, a, a digital representation of what we as human beings want done in the digital world. Yeah. And using the, the multi-key validates and connects to us, but doesn't allow, like, you know, my doctor doesn't need to know about my pet, right? My vet needs to know about my pet. And so what I provision to my doctor is going to be very different from what I provision to my pet. Well, that's kind of what you do now individually, right? When I log in, I log into my doctor's site. Right. You log in, you log into your doctor's site. Right. Yeah. He doesn't have any information about my pet now. And my vet has information about my pet. Exactly. And that's, and that's how it should be. That's the, the convenience. Right. Exactly. And, that, and that's as it should be. Right. But what is not in everybody's background of thinking is that your, your Amazon address where you go and buy your pet supplies and, you know, purchase things online that, you know, Maybe you have gotten pregnant and, you know, you're, you're buying the, the little, you know, X, Y, Z that, you know, you would want. Um, now there's another entity that knows a lot of different things about your personal life and monetizes it to sell you more stuff yeah, and monetizes it, monetizes it in, you know, informing your insurer of, of how, you know, good a risk you are for them to insure. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways that this data is being used that most of us aren't processing and aware of. And so having a different way of doing business that if I, as a human being decide that I want that data about me provisioned so that my insurer can make decisions based on that data, then I can provision that and I get paid for that. And that's, that's this new way of doing business that I'm talking about where we, the consumer are in the driver's seat because it's our data, right? Countries are realizing that data is their national treasure. And we as humans need to recognize that our data is our personal treasure and how we manage it and how we interact with others in the digital world. That's our footprint. And, and that's going to be a big problem going forward because the entire world won't shift to it. The entire America won't even shift to it. The entire digital space won't even shift to it. So, you know, that's going to be so as we, you know, because I want to leave you time to sort of wrap up with your personal, you know, information that you wanted to share. So let's, let's look at, tell the audience when it comes to the problems and challenges, because what I've heard, we didn't get to really get into the problems that it's solving. We only talked about the problems it's creating. So, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how does somebody prepare for this new future of this, whether they're trying to get training, they're trying to come up with a, a new solution. You talked about this one guy that's kind of cornered the market when it comes to patents. So what is it? Where is a, a problem to be solved that either individually to make yourself more um, desirable as an employee because you get a certain skill set or knowledge set 
or as companies that are looking to shift because they have a real problem with fraud and uh, you know the black market or getting audited or they spend all this money and they can do a cross-reference because it is the wave of the future and definitely for certain industries. And there may always be some interconnection of a blockchain way of doing it with traditional way of doing it, that that might be the solution. How do you put those, those puzzle pieces together to connect that up? So, you know, if you can, I might, that's a, that's a big nut to try to cover in five minutes, but, you know, give a, give a pathway besides, you know, yes, go to, you know, the blockchain ecosystem.io and sign up for their the upcoming webinars and get engaged to learn more about this, to be on top of your game. If you are in the technology space, if you are in these industries where there is a paper trail, because that paper trail They've been trying to do away with it for 20 years with a digital version of that. You know, fingerprints on your computer and your phone was a step for identity piece of that. But even to Linda's point, you don't own that once you've, uh, you've agreed to allow your fingerprint to be used. So that fingerprint, the fact that I have the ability to authorize myself to get into all these applications with my fingerprint, we think we're more secure. But in some cases, the knowledge of that, what you just described, means that other people are selling that data that says this unknown person, because they can't associate it with my name, but this unknown person behavior is this, this, and this, and her her cookie or her IP address will or will deliver, you can deliver these other things to them based on this behavior that they had that they're going to be most likely interested in to buy or subscribe or you know, be a part of or be um, influenced as we see within the misinformation that's out there on social media based on this digital crumbs that we leave, right? So we want to get outside of that and, or, and be separate from that. There, there may or may not be a way to completely do that. And so that's a problem, right? It's going to improve some things, maybe not everything. You know, we still have people that won't even do a credit card transaction on the internet. So, you know what I mean? I'm saying there will always be outliers. You're not going to get to a utopia of everything secret and verified through a blockchain. It's going to, there will always be this. So what are the challenges that the industry of blockchain, it's not the blockchain, but all these applications or uses of blockchain, what is the challenge that that industry has in accomplishing this utopia that you've described? Well, the, the biggest challenge is it can also create dystopia. That, that's the simple answer. You are looking at a adoption of technology globally that depending on who is wielding the power behind the blockchain that is implemented in that specific instance, you will have dystopian societies. You can also create not, I'm not saying it's going to create utopia because it's not going to change some basic human behaviors that aren't necessarily positive. It's, it, it doesn't, you know, create anything that is perfect. And I, I don't want to misrepresent that in, in any way. Um, what it does is give us as people different choices and the ability to interact with a, a digital space differently. And so that's, and, and that's not just, you know, blockchain as, as, a, as an industry. I'm, I'm talking, 
you know, when I, when I gave that description of Charlie's, you know, tech stack, um, that's, that's an interoperability opportunity for any of the blockchains to participate and to, to have the enablement of digital agency for countries, companies, individuals. So we, we do have that pain point of powerful technology can be used powerfully by bad actors. And we saw that in the ICO craze. Um, we're seeing a lot of stuff in the DeFi uh, timeframe now, and we didn't even touch on that at all. But there's, you know, like huge opportunities for staking tokens and interest. And um, some of them are absolute unadulterated scams and, and not to be recommended in any way. And some of them are working to really use the technology to provide opportunities in the, the DeFi space and, and are trending towards legitimacy and, and working to be regulated. And so there's, there's a lot of positive change that's happening and there is not necessarily any single source of truth. And that's a, I mean, it's, it's tough to admit that. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a reality. I'm not going to claim that the chamber should be your, your single source of truth. I, I will say that we have members and individuals that are working strongly together in the best interests of human beings. And that's the, the core um, that, you know, we, we have at the table and we want to have people that want to implement technology and do it responsibly connecting with the chamber and we can help facilitate introductions and connections to really make I believe the the implementation of technology better so that we we are more trending towards the utopian side than the dystopian side and so it's it's just that hope it's that it's that opportunity to to use emerging technologies to make the world a better place and I mean I'll end with just an example agriledger is a, a project that I I was just speaking with um Jean-Vive uh, Laville and she um is a phenomenal woman and we're working um, as part of a team that's, that's building out a platform to highlight women in technology and support their efforts. And her AgriLedger implementation led to a 750% increase over market value for the farmers that participated yeah. and they had they that comes from six different missions of actual collection of fruit and going to market with it the farmers themselves got 750 percent more than they would have otherwise yeah. and that that kind of you know value add to humans um you know because of a technological implementation of blockchain is you know, what, what makes me just really, really happy and thankful to be able to, to represent the technology and, you know, share how it can, you know, begin to shift uh, our world towards hopefully a, a better outcome than what some of our, our current uh, technology implementations have gotten us to thus far. Yeah. So well, that's where I think the efficiency piece, it's, it's not only a like you say, efficiency, but it's the trust that you can verify the data, the data that you know you can, tr you can count on the data, right? And, and so, yeah, automates business process like no other technology I've seen. Yeah. So the cost of the trouble or finding the skill set, to me, the biggest problem in the marketplace right now for this is that it's hard to find people that actually could code in blockchain yeah. or figure out 
enough, you know, be able to talk the talk with somebody that understands the supply chain management and process management, how they do it now, and be able to articulate that to a technology person that says, okay, okay, well, then I'm going to design this blockchain application to replicate that, but they have to understand this piece of it. So you got somebody that doesn't know blockchain that has to translate it, or this person has to not only know blockchain, but be able to translate traditional ways of doing these sort of business processes and then, you know, look at, and then the, the, the higher levels of the organization to look at it and say, okay, it's going to take a million dollars to implement that modification that we need to do, which we're going to have to do, you know, our forecast says that if we don't do it now, we're going to be forced to do it five years from now. And then it's going to cost us $10 million and 200 man hours, you know, or we can do it now and it'll be slow and painful, but let's put a plan in that says, let's fix this piece and integrate it with tradition and then fix this piece and kind of come up with your roadmap of how do you completely migrate over to a blockchain enabled process. Yeah, that, that's why people like Tracy Levine um, are, they're, they're like CEO whispers, right? They, they help raise the awareness and facilitate the adoption into emerging technologies. And you're, you're absolutely right. That's, and she's a, a very strong core uh, part of the, the team at the chamber um, in, in that her, her advice and insights and support um, are, are tremendous. So yes, there are, there are those types of individuals that we would love to be the connection point for um, to really facilitate the education of the C-suite and then start bringing the pieces together to help support implementation. Because like I said, our, our social mandate, we have to raise awareness first, but then it's facilitating adoption. And yeah. that's, that's having those, those quality individuals with the right technology that, you know, and we're platform and token agnostic. So I, I highlighted what Charlie's doing if there's something better that solves for the problems that his tech stack solves for and it does it better, then I'll talk about that. I've, I've just worked very hard to find the, the best of the emerging technologies. And because blockchain is the glue, that's, that's why, you know, we can, from the blockchain chamber of commerce, talk about things other than just blockchain, right? It's, yeah. it's the, the emerging technology stack that will provide the efficiencies and the traceability and, you know, the IOT is necessary, AI, you know, it, it's, it's all part of this, this bigger puzzle to bring the, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we might even skip over the fourth industrial revolution and go straight to the fifth. I'm not <laughs> yeah, sure, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think COVID has put this weird, like, um, uh, accelerant, you know, where, where we're just, it's, it's, uh, it's just going to push us, um, in, into, uh, much more quickly the, the new ways of doing business that, um, are possible now. Yeah. We just, oh, yeah. we just have the, the accelerant and we need to survive, you know, the, the next five or six months. Um, and uh, I, I think there's technologies that will help with the, the recovery phase as we move forward. So yeah, because anybody that's in business knows that there's everything has a process, right? Everything mm -hmm. has a process that you follow through. And the inefficiencies of those processes, 20 years ago, they looked to automate that. I mean, all the way back to, you know, when we went from you know, handwriting to typewriters to computers. Well, every evolution of tech was to make it more efficient and less um, 
and more um, verifiable, right? It's like you, you could change a typewritten piece of paper when you had it on a word processor and you could modify it as you needed to, to do that. You could tell when it was saved, what was the save history, all those kind of things. And it was an efficiency thing. So as, we, as, as technology evolves over time, to, to the blockchain, the, the potential of blockchain is that next thing. But as with a lot of new technology, even like I think about back when I was explaining what a, a, a wireless LAN was, you know, compared to traditional LANs, you know, well, how do I know it got to the other end? Anyhow, they, all of that stuff is, um, and one of the things that I had to do for IBM was take the techno speak of the engineers and put it into what the business person would understand. They didn't necessarily care exactly. They wanted to know a little bit about how it worked. They just mm -hmm. wanted to know that it worked. And then they would, could evaluate the business value of that. Right. And I think what that's one of the things solve? that... Yeah. Right. And that's one of the things that I guess you as a chamber and what you're doing with education is trying to solve is to eliminate some of the confusion because people come to it like I did with token, right? They've got a, mm -hmm. the token. That's the first time that word was ever used. Token has been used in a lot of other things. So you have to redefine it within this context. And that also means that when I'm using the, in, in a larger context, if I use the word token, I might have to for a while just like I did for a long time is separating crypto from blockchain is separating this definition of token from this definition of token. So within the context of this, because every industry has its own, you know, lingo. words yeah. that they use and the lingo that they use and being sensitive to that, to somebody on the outside looking in going like, I, because otherwise they throw up their hands and then say, well, it ain't broken. Let's not fix it. Cause I can just keep doing it. I got Plenty of people employed. It's cheaper at $10 an hour to have that person verify that information than to spend this money to do this because it's just too complicated. And so that's the risk, I think, one of the biggest problems that we have of this beautiful potential of technology to solve such fundamental problems that we have when it comes to the exchange of data in, in the world. And, uh, you know, I, blockchain is the solution for that, just like the internet was a solution for connecting people outside of a mail or a phone call, right? Mm -hmm. And the exchange of information and building upon that. So I really so much appreciate you being on the show. I think we scratched the scratch of, you know, <laughs> the, the part of this. This is like the tip of that iceberg of everything else. So again, I want everybody to make sure that if you're into blockchain, if you are curious about this, if you see it as somewhere in your future or you don't even know, go to the blockchainecosystem.io, sign up for their newsletter so you get alerted about events or things, put it on a calendar event to go back and look and see what's new there every once in a while for your own education on this, your own knowledge, and you could razzle and dazzle people at the next time you do a <laughs> cocktail party or something that you know a little bit about blockchain. And then, um, and then look at becoming a member of the chamber or at least be a part of that world because it is the, the, the way they're going. And then um, with that, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your shirt. For those that aren't watching, oh, you got <laughs> Bloom in the, was it Bloom in the Dark? Bloom in the Dark, yeah. Yeah, so one of the real values of women, I'm just going to do a plug for women right now. Women in organizations is not only do we bring the left side of the brain, we also bring the right side of the brain. And I don't even know which one is which, but one of them <laughs> is all about this 
numbers and, you know, this process and, you know, thinks very orderly. And the other side is very compassionate and thinks about, you know, how and that's, oh, wait, compassionate capitalism. Oh, I'm yeah. <laughs> it, right. So talk about Bloom and why that's important to you and let folks understand that and, and, and give the website of where they can get more information about that as we wrap up here. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity. And um, Bloom in the Dark is definitely uh, something that's close to my heart. And uh, it started with my sister writing a book that included 30 poems, stories, and letters of women who had been victimized. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. But at the same time, each story has the path to hope and, and healing. Um, so it's a uh, it's, uh, victims becoming ex-victims message that is very strongly communicated. And she's gone on to have a TV show called Bloom Today. And wow. that's in over 204 countries on 24 plus um, uh, channels or outlets or anyway, there's a bunch uh, of ways to, to access that but it's, it's women telling their stories, and in some cases, men telling their stories of, of victimization and their journey to healing. And so I, I always you know, want to, to put that out there because I, I know there's so many people that are walking around with smiles on their faces, and they have gone through really, really challenging times, and they need to know that they're not alone that in some cases people have had it worse than them and you know that's somehow comforting for for people but that they don't have to stay where they are as a victim they can become an ex-victim and yeah. i think i think the the technology of blockchain is facilitating that in a lot of ways as well and so we we're being able to bank the unbanked um we're we're helping oh, yeah. victims become ex-victims through the power of this technology so that's that's the kind of the touch point um and we have you know members of the chamber like dfm data corp that are putting the like literally built into the bylaws of the company is the purpose to build housing for young people with special needs that are aging out of the school system and that need a place to have their their potential maximized and be supported uh, as they continue on as adults so you know that kind of um, purpose and passion around the technology um, is is something that brings me just a lot of joy and um, makes makes what I do in leading the chamber something that is is very purpose driven and um, I, I love you know the the compassionate capitalist uh, approach. Um, there, there needs to be commerce, right? We, we are the blockchain chamber of commerce, um, but but doing what we do in service of people, um, in some cases in service of, of hurting people or people that, that can't benefit themselves as you know, easily as others might, um, that's, that's why we, we're here, right? We're, we're so connected and how we treat the, the least of these is, is really showcasing um, a lot about who we are. And yeah. so I, I, I'm hoping that humanity as a whole is, is, uh, is upregulating itself yeah. um, <laughs> with, with purpose. And I, I think technology can play a role in that. And so happy to be a part of it and happy to be able to share that and really, really appreciate Karen, you're giving me the opportunity to, to be able to communicate as, uh, as poorly as I might've done in some instances. <laughs> um, but, but to Good. just share 
you did find, Linda, sometimes it's just sort of the passion that you have, which is, I think, hopefully our listeners, you know, heard that um, and saw that. And so, and the knowledge. So, you know, trying to confine that into, you know, what I try to do is this little package of a podcast video cast, you know, and kind of, you know, get that message across can be a challenge, but that's my job as a host. And I, and I have really value you being on the show today and sharing your insights because you are highly knowledgeable and extremely well connected and you are ta- you know one of the top 100 women in blockchain so there you go thank you thank so you. much linda you, appreciate you being on the show <laughs> my absolute pleasure all right have a great day and everybody onwards and upwards Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources, and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougaran Capital Holdings, is a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network, and our sponsors, and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.